life. All right, let's talk about Judges. Um, Judges, as we looked at last week, is an incredible book. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's a neglected book. In many ways, as New Testament Christians, we neglect much of the Old Testament, but particularly the parts of the Old Testament that are unsettling to us, the parts we don't understand. But as we get in the book of Judges, what we will see is that it is honest and it is raw. And I think it makes a great study for all of the people of God, but particularly for us as men, because it's gonna cause us to confront the deepest parts of human depravity. And the trick here as we get into it today and the weeks to come is to not just lament over the sin of some people thousands of years ago, but to actually see that their story is our story. And as we'll see this morning, this repeating cycle of sin giving into slavery, giving into salvation over and over and over again is not only the story of the people of Israel, but it's the human story. And it's our story as well. So let me pray for us, and we'll dive into the book of Judges chapter 2. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that every part of it you use to correct us, to, to, to show us yourself. We thank you that from Genesis to Revelation, we see the story of redemption, the story of Jesus, even the good news of the gospel. We praise you for the apostle Paul who tells us that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. And so we know that it is on every page. So we pray this morning as we look at really a summary of the book of Judges that we would see ourselves in that story and that we would see our deep need for the Savior, the only one who can rescue us from the cycle of sin and slavery. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, have you ever experienced deja vu? Anyone here? Is it not, is it not the weirdest feeling? It's, it's the most bizarre feeling to feel like it's something that you are experiencing, you've experienced before, yet you cannot really put your finger on it. And people have studied this phenomenon of deja vu, that maybe it's actually what's really going on in your brain is some synapses are not firing quite right, and you don't actually have that experience in the past, you just think you do. Or others think that perhaps you, you actually do have that experience in the past, it's just buried deep down in your memory. And you're just sort of faintly accessing it when you have that experience of deja vu. Now deja vu typically is, is not about anything serious. Normally it's just this kind of faint feeling when you're doing something mundane. But have you ever had, maybe you wouldn't call it deja vu, but the feeling that you keep learning the same lesson over and over again. It's kind of a more aggressive form of deja vu. Not just a feeling, but you begin almost to feel shame at that point. That for whatever reason, you just can't seem to get it right. And, and maybe you've experienced this at work. Maybe something that you know that you've been tasked to do, called to do, that you keep just butting your head up against a wall. And, and every few months, it just happens again and again and again. Maybe you've experienced that in work. Perhaps for others of you, you have that kind of thing in your marriage. Sometimes we call that a relational rut. Have you ever found you and your wife, if you're married, to have some of the most similar arguments over and over and over again? And just keep coming back to them for, for really what seems like no reason. And, and maybe you have a period of victory where you're loving each other well, you're, you're, you're getting along, and then the same thing all of a sudden just comes out of nowhere. Or, or maybe you've experienced this kind of thing in your own life 
where some pattern of brokenness or sin seems to rear its ugly head deep in your heart over and over and over again. Maybe it's some kind of thing that is deep in your past that you thought you had kind of put to rest and then all of a sudden it comes up again. It's a kind of spiritual deja vu where we seem to just kind of return like a dog to its own vomit, to the same thing. And when we experience that, we're frustrated, we feel shame, and we wonder how can we ever break the cycle. Well, in many ways, that's the story of not only our passage this morning, but it's the story of the book of Judges. If you're with us last week, we kind of looked at an introduction, a lawsuit between God and his people, where he sent an angel to confront them over their idolatry, that they had failed to push out the altars and idols of their culture, and they had given themselves over to it. And so God sent an angel to confront them to put them on trial and to show them that they had abandoned God by giving themselves over to their idols. In chapter two, in our chapter this morning, you can almost think of it as a second introduction. We're not yet getting to a judge yet. That'll start next week. But it's interesting that the book of Judges almost starts with two introductions. The first one last week, kind of recounting the history of Israel coming out of, of, of their slavery into the promised land, given the command to subdue the land and to, to really conquer its people and their failure to do that. And now in chapter two, we're given not just really an introduction, but a summary of where we're headed. A repeating cycle that happens over and over and over again for the people of Israel. And this is the cycle. The cycle goes like this. From generation to generation, they grow increasingly complacent and cynical. And as that next generation is given over to complacency and cynicism, they sin and abandon the Lord. And then, as they give in to sin, their sin actually so deeply entangles them that they become enslaved by it and oppressed by it. And so God raises up a judge to save them from their oppressors. And then they experience a great deal of hope until that judge dies, and then the next generation gives themselves over to complacency and cynicism. And the cycle starts over again. And we see that cycle with every judge over and over and over again. And you ask, well, how many judges are there in the book of Judges? There's 12. And what we're going to see as we study this is we're going to spend more time on some judges than others because there's sometimes that we, in the book of Judges, a judge might be just talked about for a couple verses, and some judges are talked about for three chapters. If you flip over your sheet, you'll see on the back a list of all 12 judges and where you can find their story in the book of Judges. And we'll start diving into their stories next week. But for this week... I want to talk about the cycle, the cycle that seems to repeat over and over again, not just in the book of Judges, but I would argue this is the pattern of humanity. With each passing generation, one generation failing 
to instill the story of God to the next. That generation becoming complacent and cynical, giving themselves over to sin, which gives rise to slavery, which shows our need for a savior. So the first thing I want us to look at, I want us to talk about complacency and cynicism. I want us to look at Judges chapter two. Judges chapter two, verse six is where we're gonna begin. Judges two, verse six, and this is what it says. It says, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went, each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. I want you to pay attention to that. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord had done for Israel. Okay, so let's stop there. So Joshua here, still alive, this is the story of his death. And notice what it says, that during the days of Joshua, the people of Israel, God's people, they served the Lord. They served the Lord. In fact, we're told that the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen everything that God had done, also served the Lord. I want you to pay attention to the connection. The connection between bearing witness to what God can do and serving him. It is only when we truly behold God and really see what he can do It's only when we tell that story to ourselves and others that we really have a chance to serve him. The more that we are disconnected from the person of God and the work of God, the less that we are prone to obey him or serve him. And that's not rocket science. Why would you serve or obey a God that you really cannot see and you haven't really seen him work? I want that to start to wrestle deep in your heart as you think about this this morning. When is the last time that you really considered the person and work of God? To the degree that that is far from your mind, it should not surprise you or me that we are prone to abandon him. That's exactly what we see with the people of Israel. Now Joshua, before he dies, gave this final speech to the people of Israel. This is Joshua 24, verse 19. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Or if you're taking notes, you can just write this down and you can go here later. But this is Joshua's final speech before his death. Again, Joshua 24, verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. Notice what he says. You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He's telling it straight. You can't do this. He is a holy God. There's no way you can do this on your own. Now, notice how the people respond. Joshua continues, he says, he's a a holy God, he's a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, notice what they said, no, but we will serve God the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. They said, we are witnesses. And Joshua said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. 
So notice what Joshua says. He's being honest. He's saying there's no way you can possibly do this. You're not able to do it. And you need to be warned for God is a jealous God and he will punish you for your sins. And the people of Israel said, no, we will serve him. We will serve the Lord. I want you to go back to the book of Judges. Judges 2, verse 10. So remember, Joshua and all the elders who outlived him, who saw the works of the Lord, they served him. And notice what it says in verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. You have a generation who saw the deeds of God, who bore witness to who he is and what he can do, and the next generation forgot. They forgot. They did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And brothers, as much as our culture has written and talked about the danger of each passing generation, it is nothing new. It's nothing new. Because this is human history. One generation failing to pass on the story of God to the next, and that next generation having no knowledge. And you say, who's at fault? I think what's interesting at the book of Judges is it doesn't blame just one generation. It blames all of them. It says the younger generation is at fault. They didn't know the Lord, and they've given over themselves to sin. But the older generation is also at fault. And I want this to be a warning to us, particularly as men, as we think about our role in our culture. And our role with each passing generation, it is vitally important that we pass down the story of God. And it can't just be with our lips. We have to show it. We have to not only tell it, we have to show it from generation to generation to generation. We see this all over the Bible, particularly in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, where God's people are commanded to pass down the story of God to their children. We also see it in the book of Psalms. Let me give you this, and I think it's so important. Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. The story of God must be passed down, but today it's often said that the defining spirit of our age is complacency and cynicism. Now what are those? Well, complacency is this feeling of kind of malaise that it just doesn't matter who cares, which is directly tied, I think, to cynicism. It's deeper than just being lazy. It's that the things that we once had hope in we think will just fail us. And I think that's what we see with each passing generation in our midst an increasing sense of cynicism. Why? Because we've forgotten the character of God and what he can do. We've lost hope in who he says he is and his promises. And cynicism, I think, can be incredibly dangerous. 
Now, some of you who've been around my teaching know that I love this quote, and so if you've heard this before, I want you to hear it again. One of my favorite uh, modern-day theologians, his name is Stephen Colbert. Anyone know who he is? Now, what's interesting about Stephen Colbert is he's actually a devout Catholic. Um, and one of my favorite things, we don't have time to talk about it today, is a debate that he gets into on his old show uh, with an atheist. And um, may or may not drop the F-bomb in context of telling him that he teaches Sunday school. <laughs> and if there's not a better picture of how complex I think Stephen Colbert is, it's probably that. But I want you to listen to what he has to say about cynicism. It comes from a, a commencement speech he gave some years ago. Uh, now, many years ago, this is 2006, at Knox College. In this commencement address, this is what he said, cynicism masquerades as wisdom. It acts like it's being wise and smart and really in the, in the know more than anybody else. But it, it's an act. Cynicism masquerades at wisdom, but it is the farthest thing from it because cynics don't learn anything. Cynicism is a self-imposed blindness, a rejection of the world. Now notice what he says, because we are afraid it will hurt us or disappoint us. When we can no longer see God and his work, we give over into fear. And when we are afraid, we begin to believe that all this world will do will just hurt us and disappoint us because that's all that God is, that the stories that we've been told from the generation that went before us can't possibly be true. They can't be trusted. And so we give in to cynicism. But what I want you to see in the pattern of the cycle that we see in Judges, it doesn't stop there. Cynicism always gives in to sin. Because when we fail to see God for who he is and we no longer trust him, we will worship other gods in hopes that they will deliver us from our pain and suffering. So the second part of the cycle is sin. Again, I want you to look with me, Judges 2, verse 11. Notice what verse 11 says, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. A good Hebrew scholar would say Baals. Now we think about that word, maybe you've heard it if you've grown up around church, you've heard Baal or Baal, if it's some kind of more snooty preacher, right? Um, I want you to know that that word is really just the Canaanite word for Lord. Now why does that matter? I want you to back up. Again, Judges 2. What are we told? Judges 2. They served the Lord. The people of Israel served the Lord. And then, in Judges 2, verse 11, what does it say? They served the lowercase lords. One generation served the Lord, capital L the God of gods, the true God, Yahweh. The next generation served the Lord's, lowercase l, the Baals. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and notice what it says, verse 12, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt they went after other gods from among them, the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. I want you to begin to recognize sin for what it is. Sin is not just breaking a rule, although it is that. 
Sin is not just breaking one of God's commands, although it is that. Sin is not just doing immoral deeds, although it is that. At its heart, sin is born out of idolatry. It is going after other gods. Notice what it says. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They sinned and they served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord. When we sin, when we give in to temptation, whatever that sin might be, in that moment, we're not just doing something evil, an act, but we are abandoning God himself and we are going after another God. It continues, verse 13. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Baals and the Ashtaroth are describing Canaanite gods. Now, remember, the people of Israel had failed to drive out the altars of the pagan religion in their culture. We talked about last week how in our culture today, maybe we're not so much surrounded with pagan religion as you might think of, but there are many religions that we devote ourselves every day. Cultural pursuits and idols that surround us that we too have failed to drive out. And their day, you had the Baals and the Ashtaroth. And I want you to begin to see that what's happening here is deeply destructive, but it's no different than you or I. See, the Baals and the Ashtaroth, to worship them, they had temple prostitutes. Okay? And they believed that the Ashtaroth had to be impregnated in order for there to be fertility and flourishing and abundance for humanity. And so in order to provoke the Baals and Ashtaroth to give them abundance and fertility and fruitfulness in their daily work, they would, as men, go to the temple, a Canaanite temple, and they would go into a temple prostitute to enact what they wanted the gods to do in order to give them flourishing. To put it crasser, the Canaanites believed that the men had to go have sex with prostitutes in order for them to be able to worship their gods. It's dark and it's destructive. This is the culture that the people of Israel were living in and it's the culture that they failed to drive out. And it's the culture that began to seep back in to their daily life. And it's the reason why the language becomes much more stark in verse 17. The book of Judges describes the sin of the people. Notice how, what kind of terms it uses in verse 17. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. When we sin, it's not just immorality. It's not just breaking God's commandment. It is those things. And not only is it worshiping idols, but it is adultery. When we sin, we are cheating on God and his covenant to us. We are breaking our covenant vows and we are playing the role of a whore. That's why the book of Hosea 
describes the sin of Israel like Gomer, a prostitute. But there is hope. So what we see in the book of Judges is the cycle is sin then gives in to slavery. And in slavery, they become enslaved by their culture. Their culture begins to so seep into them, they're, they're actually sold into it. We see this in verse 14. So that anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and they, he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so they could not no longer withstand their enemies. What did God do? He let them do whatever they wanted to. He gave them over to their idols. He said, fine, if you want to just allow your enemies to live among you, I'm going to give you over to them and let you oppress them. And we see this in Romans chapter 1. One of the greatest acts of judgment that God could put on us, Romans 1, therefore God gave them up to their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, that he would leave us to our own sin. Why? Because our sin enslaves us. Again, if you weren't with us last week, we saw how our idols are a snare. They are a trap. They entangle us. It's exactly what we see with the people of Israel. So what did God do? Again, there's hope. Because God rescued them time and time and time again from their sin. The last part of the cycle that we see in the book of Judges is salvation. Judges 2, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Notice the cycle. Cynicism, giving rise to sin, giving rise to slavery, and God saved them over and over and over again. Twelve times, twelve different judges that God raised up. Now what's a judge? Judge is not, in in Bible times, is not how we think about a judge today. Don't think of a guy in a robe sitting on a bench. But in Hebrew, the word shofet, it's translated like judge, but really, it's really a military leader. A military leader that God raised up in order to save his people. That's what a judge is in the book of Judges. Someone who would come to rescue their people from their enemies. And over and over and over again in this book, God will raise up a judge to save his people. But over and over and over again, the cycle continues. We see this in verse 17 again, they did not, yet they did not listen to the judges. They whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not stop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. This is the cycle of the book of Judges. With each generation and each judge over and over and over again. Cynicism giving rise to sin, giving rise to slavery, and then God saves his people. And you ask, why on earth would we study a book like that? (laughs) Like that just sounds like a whip. 
Like, why would we want to just see this over and over and over again? And why would we want to confront that each and every week? Two reasons. The first is this. As much as Israel kept returning to their own vomit, just like we do, and going after the same idols over and over and over again, I want you to see that God was moved to rescue them. As much as the book of Judges teaches us about the darkness of human depravity, it also teaches us about the grace of God. That he would go after his people over and over and over again. And as much as you should ask, why would God's people do this? We should also ask, why would God be so gracious? Because he is. And as much as you and I are just like the people of Israel, God is gracious to us too. He goes after us over and over and over again. And when we play the whore, when we are a faithless bride, he is a faithful bridegroom. And just like the prophet Hosea, he sent his bridegroom to come and to marry a bunch of prostitutes like you and me. And that's the last reason why we study the book of Judges. Because with each judge, we see that they failed. Because when they died, the story died with them. But many years after the book of Judges, God would send the judge, Jesus Christ, who did not fail in his mission to save his people from their enemies. The one who could ultimately free us from sin once and for all. And the one when he died, the story didn't die with them but he rose again to conquer sin and death and to break the cycle of sin and slavery once and for all. And so each week this semester together, not only will we see the story of a judge, we'll also be reminded of the judge, Jesus Christ, who has rescued us from our sin, our slavery and our cynicism once and for all. Let me pray for you, send it to your tables. God, we do thank you for the book of Judges. On a morning like this, it seems like a strange prayer to say thank you for this story because this story is a hard one to read. But we recognize this morning that it's honest. So I pray that you would enable us around our tables to be honest, to be confronted not only with sin, but the wonder and good news of the gospel. To be reminded once again that you are a God who loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus Christ to be the faithful bridegroom and the judge to rescue us. So may we, as we leave this place and talk amongst our tables and go to work, not only be honest about our sin, but may we glory in our Savior, and may we walk in victory, and may we tell that story to each and every generation. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.